Hello, welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Shani Tarragon, and today we're going to continue with the next Ptichat the next utterance that we find in Parshat Sev, in Perek Zayin Pasuk Chafbet. But if one looks carefully, we see that it begins, Vayidaber Adonai El Moshe Lemor, Daber El Bnei Yisrael Lemor, Kochelev Shor Vekesev Veez Lo Tochelu. We hear a prohibition that is going to be addressed no longer to the Kohanim directly, but rather to Bnei Yisrael. Until now, the utterances have been recited by Moshe to Aaron v'Banav, Daber al Aaron ve'el Banav lemor. We finished the previous, rather long parshia, wherein Moshe addresses Aaron and his children, the Kohanim, with the various instructions called Torot, Zo Torat HaChatat, Zo Torat HaAsham, even the shlamim, which allows for the owner of the korban to participate in the consumption of the korban together with the kohen, the prohibitions of pigul, notar, and tum'ah are still addressed as torot for the kohanim. They're going to be the ones responsible for instructing Am Yisrael with regard to the proper times and intentions while they consume the korban. So this is a wonderful opportunity for us before we continue with the next p'tichat to review these torot of the kohanim wherein Parashat Vayikra directs itself towards Pnei Yisrael to teach each specific person which specific karban he or she can or must bring in any given situation, Parashat Sav is addressed specifically to the Kohanim to explain to them how they must offer the karbanot. So Parashat Vayikra serves as a halacha catalog, guiding the individual as to which karban to bring, while Parashat Sav serves as an instruction manual teaching the Kohen how to offer each type of korban. That is why Parashat Sav does not make any distinction between Anidava and Chova. For once the korban comes to the Mikdash, the Kohen does not need to know why it was offered. Instead, he needs to know its category, its level of Kedusha. Is it an Olam Mancha Chatat Hashem, namely Kodshe Kodshim, or Ashlamim, that is now mentioned last instead of second because it has the lowest level of Kedusha of Kodshim Kalim? Before we continue, one could also explain that the internal order of Parshat Sav follows according to how much of the korban is consumed on the Mizbeach, or as Chazal call this, Achilat Mizbeach. The Ola is the first, as it is totally consumed on the Mizbeach. The Mencha follows, as it is either totally consumed in the case of a Mencha brought by a Kohen, the Menchat Chinuch, or Menchat Chavitzin, or at least the Kometz is consumed, the handful while the leftover flour, the noteret, may be eaten only by the kohanim. Next we find the chatat and the asham. For their chelev and dam, their fat and blood, is offered on the mizbeach, while the meat may be eaten only by the kohanim. The shalamim comes last, as some of its meat can be eaten by the owners after the chelev and dam are offered on the mizbeach, as this meat can be eaten anywhere in the camp, not only in the courtyard of the mishkan, this category is kotshe kalim. So we now review the Torot, the instructions of the Kohanim, recognizing that each parshia that begins with Zot Torat also has digressions with regard to parshiot of related topics. For example, the Torat Ola that we learned about in Parikvav does not only teach us about bringing the daily Ola Tamid, but also deals with the fire that is constantly there and therefore the need for a true matadition, the daily removal of the ashes from the Mizbeach, preparing the wood and the fire on the Mizbeach, and the mitzvah of Eish Tamid, ensuring a continuous fire. 
Then, as we continued in chapter 6, verses 7 to 11, we saw Torah Tamancha, involving the Komet, the handful of the flower placed on the Mizbech, followed by the Noteret, the leftover portion eaten by the Kohen, and then related laws of the Mincha, namely the Mincha Chinuch, the special inaugural meal offering brought by a Kohen for the first time he performs Avodah, and the Mincha Chavitin, the daily offering of a Mincha by the Kohen Gadol. Then, in chapter 6, verses 17 through 23, Torah Tachatat, we saw first the procedure of how the Kohen offers the Korban Chatat, followed by the portion that's eaten by the Kohen, where it may be eaten, in the Azara, and related laws, or special laws concerning a case where the blood of a Chatat touches a garment or a vessel. Then, in Torah Tasham, chapter 7, verses 1 through 7, the basic procedure how to offer the korban, then the portion eaten by the kohen, followed by where it may be eaten, which forms the conclusion of the kotshe kotshim section, and that's why several laws concerning the reward of the kohen are added, for example, the kohen's rights to the heights of the ola, and the issue of who receives the noteret of the various types of the korban mencha. Then we spend two days discussing Torah Tashlamim, the laws regarding the Korban Toda, the Thanksgiving offering, followed by the laws regarding a Korban Shlamim of a Nedero Nidava, a free will offering, followed by the laws concerning meat that becomes Tameh, defiled, through Pigul, the general prohibition of eating Chelev and Dam that we're going to learn about today, and then the Kohen's rights to the Chazet and the Shok, the breast and the thigh, a gift to the Kohen from the owner of the Korban. Until this point, most of the outline of Farshat Sav follows the structure set by the phrase Zot Torat, each one directed to the Kohanim. But I'm sure you also notice certain digressions. For example, with regard to the Torah of the Mencha, we found both the Menchat Chinuch, the inauguration flower offering that the Kohen brings on the beginning of his day of service, and the Menchat Chavitin, an identical korban offered daily by the Kohen Gadol, but divided into sacrificing in the morning and in the evening. We discuss at great length how this digression is logical, as the law relates both to the korban mencha and to the Kohanim. However, we're going to see now, within the laws of the korban shlamim, two additional digressions. The first one we begin with now, in chapter 7, verse 22. Speak to Am Yisrael, saying that they may not eat the fat of an ox or sheep or goat, and the fat of a nevela, of some animal that dies of itself, or of a trefa, an animal that had been torn to death, may be used but may not be eaten. Whoever does eat the fat of the animal that is brought as a korban, as an offering to Hashem, he shall be cut off from his people. Then the next few psukim continue with an additional prohibition. One may not eat in any manner blood, whether it be from the fowl or an animal, and any of your dwelling places. And whoever does eat of blood, that soul shall be cut off from his people. These prohibitions against consuming fats and blood apply to all sheep, goats, and cattle, whether they're consecrated as korbanot or not. 
Although the word chalev is commonly translated as fat, as I just did, there's really no English word that defines it precisely. For in terms of the prohibition, fat here is referring not to the fat of every animal, but only the fatty tissue that's placed on the mezbah in the case of all the korbanot, with the exception of the tail of a sheep, known as the aliyah, which may be eaten. So, as the following psukim make clear, the fat is forbidden only from species that are eligible to be used as sacrifices, but one may eat the fat of such animals like atzvi and ayal, kosher animals of the deer and the heart, and other kosher wild animals that are not brought as karbanot. So the prohibition is strictly limited to the species that are eligible to be used as karbanot. So in the cases, for example, of nevela and trefa, firstly an animal that died, the reference is to a kosher species that died without shechita, or a trefa, an animal that had been torn to death. This is an animal that did not die of its wounds, otherwise it would have been considered a nevela. Rather, the animal had been mortally wounded and then was killed by shechita, or the animal had a disease or a wound in some vital organ that would have caused its death within 12 months. In both cases, the meat may not be eaten, even if it was slaughtered properly. We then continue to the prohibition of blood. The whole dam, which will then be qualified as the blood particularly of birds or animals, may never be eaten, teaching us that this is not a law particularly for a mikdash, so that even when we do not have a sanctuary or a temple, this law still applies. We now continue with the second digression of the Karban Shlamim, explaining that the owner of the Karban Shlamim must give the Chazet and the Shok to the Kohen. Note how both of these digressions are directed to B'nai Yisrael and not just to the Kohanim, for everyone is required to know these related laws of consumption. Whenever one chooses to offer a karban shlamim, a peace offering to Hashem, when his hands bring this offering, the fat of the chazeh, the fat of the breast he brings, and this has to be waved before Hashem. The priest takes the chilev, the fat upon the organs of the animal, places it on the mezbeach, but the chazeh, the breast itself, shall be given to Aaron and his sons. So too, the right thigh is also given as a truma, literally something that is lifted from the sacrifices given to Aaron from the shlamim. The Kohen that is the one to offer the blood and the chilev, the fat of the korban, he is the one that has the schut, the privilege to the right thigh for the portion, for his performance of his avodah. Both the chazeh of the tznufa, literally the breast that's waved over the mezbeach, and the shokachuma, the thigh that is lifted from the mezbeach, Hashem says, I have taken from Am Yisrael, from their sacrifices of the shlamim, and have given them to Aharon and his children, as a statute forever. 
זאת משחת ארון ומשחת בניו מאישי אדוני ביום הקריב אותם לכהן לאדוני. This is the consecrated portion of Aaron and his children out of the offerings that are given to Hashem from the time that they serve as Kohanim. אשר ציווה אדוני לתת להם ביום משכו אותם מאי בני ישראל חוקות עולם לדורותם. We're told that these are commandments that are given by Hashem from the time that a Kohen is anointed and then חוקת עולם, a statue that remains forever throughout their generations. זאת התורה לעולה, למנחה ולחטאת ולאשם ולמילואים ולזבח השלמים. This is the law of the burnt offering. of the meal offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, and all of the consecration offerings, known as the miluim, and the zevach ha-shlamim, asher tziva Adonai et Moshe bahar Sinai, b'yom tavato ebnei Yisrael l'akriv et karbaneihem l'adonai b'midbar Sinai, which Hashem had commanded Moshe while he was at Har Sinai, on the day that he commanded all of Am Yisrael to present their karbanot, their offerings to Hashem, b'midbar Sinai, in the wilderness of Sinai. Before we elaborate on these last two psukim, we notice that the digressions of the karban shlamim, both the prohibition of eating chilev and dam for any animal, and that the owner of the karban shlamim must give the chazeh and the shok to the kohen, we may conclude that one of the primary considerations of parashat sav is the compensation that the kohen receives for offering the karban. In contrast to Parshat Vayikra, which does not raise this issue, Parshat Sav tells us that the Kohen receives the hides of the Ola, the leftovers of the Mancha, most of the meat of the Chatat and the Asham, and the Chazan the Shok of the Shlamim. And this is reinforced by the summary Psukim of chapter 7, verses 35 and 36, which reinforce the significance as the conclusion of Parshat Sav. The final two utterances, however, Parshat Sav, the final Ptichot Dibur, are not particular to the Kohanim, but rather are special Diburim to Bnei Yisrael, prohibiting them from eating the chilev and the dam, the fat and the blood of any animal, even if that animal is not being offered as a korban. This law and its presentation in context of the karban shlamim suggests that the kashrut laws of chilev and dam can be viewed as an extension of the laws of karbanot. The Torah purposely includes the laws of Chilev and Dam in Parshat Sav to teach us that they are forbidden specifically because these parts of the animal, had it been a karban, should belong on the Mizbeach. Ideally, as we're going to find later in Sefer Devarim, one should eat meat only within the framework of a karban shlamim. Eating chulin, meat which is not a karban, is allowed only when bringing a karban shlamim is unfeasible. So much so that in Sefer Tzvarim, this meat is referred to as Vasar Ta'ava, the meat of desire. Nevertheless, even in a realistic, non-ideal condition, when one does eat chulin, he may still not eat the chilev and the dam. Therefore, whenever a Jew does eat meat, he must remind himself that this animal could or should have been a karvan shlamim. One could suggest that man's desire for meat may reflect an animalistic tendency that's latent in human nature. By offering a korban shlamim, man is meant to channel this desire in a more positive direction to enhance his relationship with Hashem. Even today, with Adam Mikdash, by refraining from eating the chilev and the dam, we are more conscious of elevating our physical world with kedusha, retaining that level of getting close to Hashem through the mishkan, even while we eat meat. And now we turn to our problematic finale of chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, which accurately summarize the entire parasha, except for one small detail. Zot HaTorah, a beautiful conclusion for all of the Torot, 
לעולה, למנחה ולחצת ולאשם ולמילואים ולזבח השלמים. What is ולמילואים doing in this פסוק? All the other קרבנות mentioned in the פסוק appear within the context of פרשת צו. Whereas the laws of the קרבן מילואים, the sacrifices that are brought as part of the inaugural ceremony of the consecration of the משכן, are found in ספר שמות in פרשת צווה. And the implementation is going to be described in the ensuing parak that the Ezrat Hashem we're going to learn about tomorrow. We'll begin by offering possible solutions to this phenomenon. According to Rashi, the term Elohim is a general term that means inauguration. It's used in Sefer Shemot with reference to the inauguration of the Mishkan, but it can also refer to the inauguration of an individual Kohen. The Korban that a Kohen brings When he is first inaugurated, we already discussed in the context of a karban mencha is known as a menchat chinuch and is mentioned within this context. So according to Rashi, the miluim can include the specific and special karban that in fact is mentioned in Parshat Zav. This is difficult, however, because if the miluim is a reference to the menchat chinuch, then it should have been mentioned after the mencha and before the chatat, consistent with the order of the perik. In addition, all the other karbanot that are listed in the summary are introduced in the parak explicitly with the term of Zotorat. However, this phrase does not appear before the Menchat Chinuch, giving us the impression that the Menchat Chinuch is really not part of these broader issues, but rather a digression, as we've discussed. So an alternate suggestion is uh, proposed by the Ibn Ezra. Miluim, he explains, is a reference to what we found in the portion of Tzitzaveh. In other words, This pasuk does not come to summarize the karbanot section of Parshat Tzav, but rather is the conclusion of all types of karbanot that we found mentioned in the Torah until this point. While most of the karbanot are written at the beginning of Ayikra, the summary is going to be all-inclusive and therefore refers to karbanot that are written elsewhere, such as the karban miluim, already written in Sefer Shmot. This is underscored by continuing in the next pasuk, the last pasuk of the Parshia, These are the laws Asher Tziva Hashem et Moshe Bahar Sinai Biyom Tzavato et Bnei Yisrael Lakriv et Karbanehem Lahashem Bimidbar Sinai. These are the laws commanded to Moshe at Har Sinai on the day that he commanded the children of Israel to present their offerings in the wilderness of Sinai. The Ramban notes that this pasuk refers to Har Sinai even though the mitzvot mentioned at the beginning of Parshat Vayikra were given from Ohel Moed, from within the Mishkan. He also notes that the Pasuk makes reference to Midbar Sinai. So based on these observations, the Ramban comments as follows. In accord with the straightforward interpretation of the Pshat, this refers to that which Hashem commanded to Moshe at Har Sinai, as well as that which was commanded to Bnei Yisrael in the Sinai wilderness. For he commanded the Miluim at Har Sinai, while he commanded the Mincha, the Asham, and the Zivchei Shlamim in the Sinai wilderness from the Ohel Mo'ed, giving us the impression that this is, as Ibn Ezra says, an overall summary of both types of Karbanot, those which Moshe had heard at Har Sinai, which include the Miluim, together with all the other Karbanot that he heard from the Ohel Mo'ed upon the inauguration of the Mishkan, introduced already at the beginning of Parshat Vayikra. However, with greater sensitivity to the context of the Psukim, we know that the Miluim are not only referring all the way back to Parshat Tzitzabeh, but rather there really is a hint to the Miluim in the Psukim that we just read, keeping in mind that we heard about the Chazeh and the Shok that are offered, 
beginning from Mishchat Aaron and Mishchat Banav Mishay Hashem, Biyom Hikrivotam Lachahin Lahashem. That these laws begin from the time that the Kohanim are going to be consecrated or inaugurated as priests to Hashem, a reference to Shmo Perachavtet, a reference to the Miluim. Let us examine these specific laws of offering the Chazet and the Shok to the Kohen and see how significant they are, not only to our context, but to the overall context of going back to Parshat Tzaveh before we continue with the next chapter that is going to describe the actual Miluim, how the Kohanim become consecrated. What does this have to do with the commandments of offering the Chazeh HaTznufa and the Shok HaTruma, the breast of the waving and the thigh of the heaving? Why do we have to hear that this began Biyom Hikrivotem? What is the connection between the laws of the Chazeh and the Shok here in Parshat Sav and the Miluim that are mentioned in Sefer Shemot? Keep in mind that the context of these laws is Karban Shlamim, the Karban that brings Shalom to the Mizbech, to the Kohanim, and to the owners. The Chalev, the fats, are offered on the Mizbech, the Chazan, the Shok, are given to the Kohanim, and the rest of the meat is eaten by the owners. Although the Chazan and the Shok are generally treated identically, the Torah seems to distinguish between them. You shall bring the offerings, referring to the Shlamim to Hashem, the Chalev on the Chazeh you shall bring, and the Chazeh you shall wave before Hashem. And the Kohen shall offer the chalev on the altar, and the chazeh shall be for Aaron and his children. And the right shok should be given as a truma from your shlamim, offering to the Kohen. The Torah differentiates between the chazeh, which is combined with the chalev, and the shok, which is treated separately. The impression is that the chazeh was really meant to be offered on the altar together with the chalev, but instead, Hashem awarded it to the Kohen. The Shok, on the other hand, is given to the Kohen and was never meant for the Mizbech. The Nitziv points out in his commentary that this is why the term Tenufa is used consistently with the Chazeh and the term Truma always juxtaposed to the Shok. The Shok, he explains, is not similar to the Chazeh, which basically belongs on the altar together with the Chalev. However, Hashem awarded it to the Kohanim as the part which is elevated. This is in contrast to the shok, which is the portion of the owner like the rest of the meat, but instead is given to the kohanim. This is a little difficult because when we examine the next parak, which describes the karban miluim, we're going to see that the shok is combined with the chalev and offered on the mizbeach, while the chazeh is given to Moshe as a portion. If we turn back to the original source of the karban miluim in Parshat Tzaveh, chapter 29, focusing on verses 22 through 28, we're going to see that the Karban Miluim is the source for the Kedusha of the Chazeh and the Shok in a regular Shlamim. Hashem tells Moshe to take the Chalev of the Ram and the right Shok, place it upon the hands of Aharon and upon the hands of his sons, and wave them to Nufa before Hashem. Then take them from their hands and offer them on the Mizbeach. And you shall take the Chazeh of Aaron's Ram of the Miluim, and perform tnufa with it before Hashem, and that shall be your portion. In other words, the chazeh is given to Moshe. And you shall sanctify the chazeh ha and the shok ha which is waved tnufa and raised truma from the ram of the Miluim, and it shall be for Aharon and his sons as a law forever for the children of Yisrael. 
So if the Milwim is the very source for the sanctity of the Chazeh and the Shok of the Karban Shlamim, then how do we resolve this discrepancy? Why is the Shok associated with the Chalib in the context of the Karban Milu'im and offered on the Mizbeach, while the Chazeh is joined with the Chalib regarding the Shlamim? In order to resolve this conflict, we're going to look at what is so unique with regard to the role of Moshe for the Karban Milu'im. During the seven days of the Milu'im, Moshe served as the Kohen in the Mishkan. He served in the capacity of the Kohen Gadol, even though he wasn't a Kohen as far as his lineage is concerned. That's why he could only receive portions of the Korban in terms of his role as the one who does the Avodah of the Korban. However, Moshe had no claim to the sections already reserved for Aaron and his descendants. Since Moshe only received the chazeh, the breast of the animal, we can conclude that the chazeh is awarded to the Kohen for the avodah, for the work that he performs on behalf of the one bringing the korban. The shok, on the other hand, was offered in the case of Moshe and the Miluim on the Mizbeach because that is reserved for the descendants of Aaron. And that's why Moshe could not consume it himself. Regarding a standard shlamim, the kohanim, who are also descendants of Aaron, receive both the chazeh and the shok, both the chazeh for the avodah that they perform and the shok as kohanim for their lineage. Based on this, the chazeh and the shok were already consecrated for generations during the time of the miluim. The mention of the chazeh and the shok in the context of the karban shlamim is merely a description of how this law should be implemented. However, according to this understanding, we're perplexed by the detailed description of Hashem awarding the Chazan the Shok to the Kohanim, which is repeated in the Parshat Shlamim. Weren't we already informed of this in Parshat Tetzaveh? Why is this repetition necessary if it's all but an implementation of the laws we already heard about? Perhaps the Halakha of Chazan and Shok is rooted in two independent sources, both the Karban Miluim as well as the Karban Shlamim. On the one hand, the Chazeh and the Shok were consecrated through the Karban Miluim. With respect to the Karban Miluim, Moshe was filling in the role of the Kohen, so the Chazeh was awarded to him for serving in the capacity of a Kohen, even though he wasn't a descendant of Aharon. The Shok, however, was not given to Moshe, but instead consecrated and offered upon the Mizbeach. The Parsha of Shlamim describes an additional source for the Kohen's right to the Chazeh and the Shok. And this is alluded through the special terminology consistently employed by the chazeh, known as the chazeh hatznufa, the breast that is waved, and the shok hatshuma, the shok that is lifted. Teaching us, as we saw in the name of the nitziv, that the chazeh initially was meant to be offered on the mizbech with the chalev, but was awarded to the kohen instead, just as in the case of Moshe Rabbeinu, for the work that he performs on behalf of the person bringing the korban. And the shok is always meant to be the portion of the Kohen, never meant for the altar. That's why the Chazeh should be waved with the Chalev, and the Shok should be lifted up separately. Interestingly, the Halakha indicates that both the Chazeh and the Shok are waves with the Chalev. Perhaps because the Shok is waved with the Chalev to follow the paradigm of the Milu'im, wherein Moshe Rabbeinu did not receive the Shok, while the connection between the Chazeh and the Chalev is rooted in the Parsha of the Shlamim, where the Kohen shows the Baal HaKarban that really he doesn't deserve the Chazeh, it should belong on the Mizbech, and therefore is going to be waived with the Chalev, but he's going to receive it as a gift or payment from the Baal HaKarban. 
This duality of the Chazan and the Shok is reflected in the Psukim themselves. Regarding the Miluim, the Torah stated, And you shall consecrate the Chazeh Hatznufa and the Shok Hatshuma from the ram of the Miluim, from that of Aaron and his children. The Torah then continues, And it shall be for Aaron and his children an everlasting law from B'nai Israel, for it is a Truma, a Truma from B'nai Israel, from their Shilamim, a Truma to Hashem. The first pasuk in Parshat Tzitzaveh refers to the ram of Miloim, which was apparently a korban for, of the descendants of Aaron, and which Moshe, serving as a Kohen, received the chazeh. The second pasuk refers to the different shlamim and the different portions that Aaron and his descendants receive as a truma, as a gift from B'nai Yisrael. Now we see how our pasuk in chapter 7, verse 34 is in fact a paraphrasing of what we've already seen in the parsha of the Miluim. This pasuk refers to the laws of the Chazeh and the Shok that are rooted in the Karban Shlamim of Yisrael. But the next pasuk tells us that the root goes back to Mishchat Aaron and Mishchat Banav, that this is rooted really in the Karban of the Miloim. Already then, the Kohanim had a right to the Chazeh and the Shok. That's why Moshe could only receive the Chazeh and not the Shok. But now that the Kohanim are both serving in the capacity of those that are going to supervise all the work of the Mishkan, they deserve the Chazeh, the Chazeh Hatznufa that otherwise would have gone together with the Chelev on the Mizbech. But they are also Kohanim, and that's why, as opposed to Moshe, they will have the rights to the Shok, to the Thai. But now the question remains, why are the laws of Shlamim already referred back to by the Miloim? And why here, when we want to learn about the Shlamim, why is there a reference back to the Miloim? Perhaps the Torah is teaching us that the Miloim and the Shlamim must be combined in order to perform the Chazeh and the Shok consumption in the proper way. On the one hand, the Shok belongs to the descendants of Aaron in an explicit way derived here from the Parsha of the Shlamim, and that's why Moshe Rabbeinu could not eat it. On the other hand, the Shok must be combined with the Chalev in order to eternalize the paradigm of the Shlamim that was established by Moshe when he did not consume it. The Chazeh is combined with the Chalev here because the descendants of Aaron received them from the Mizbeach, as per the parasha of Shlamim. From the parasha of the Miluim, we learn that the Kohanim received the Chazeh particularly for their Avodah, something that was performed by Moshe as well. Now we understand the enigmatic placement of the Miluim in Pasuk Lamed Zayin. Zot Torah. These are the laws, the instructions of the Kohanim. La'ula, la'mencha, v'la'chatat, v'la'asham. And in order to properly understand the laws that were just mentioned about the Chazeh and the Shok, you have to go back to the Miluim and appreciate the distinction of the Chazeh HaTznufa and the Shok HaTruma in order to properly understand why in the context of the Shlamim, the Kohanim have a right to the Chazeh and the Shok. Here is a wonderful example of how the Torah interprets itself and enables us to appreciate not only the interpretation of the words, but a greater understanding of the context through which the various themes and their significances will be realized. Tomorrow we will learn the final topic of Parashat Vayikra chapter 8, describing the seven days of Miloim that were already commanded to Moshe in Shmot Parachavtet and Parashat Tzavit.